God was right. He told me his plans, and I was in awe. I couldn't wait to tell the people they had nothing to worry about. God's in control. I just have to help them see it. You know, if you have ever faced a really difficult situation and uh, you maybe looked heavenward and thought, you know, God, you could really do something about this, but he didn't do something about it and that confused you. The fact that God could step in and fix things and help things, but he didn't, you know, that confused you. The book of Habakkuk is probably going to speak to you some. I want to just pause for a minute before we go into the book very much today and maybe talk a little bit about perspective because it's something that stirred in my heart while we were singing today. We sang that first, very first song where the lyrics in part say, Lord, I need to see your face. And I thought that through and I overanalyze things, but my heart started thinking that through from a scriptural perspective. There are some, there are some scriptures in the Old Testament that talk about um, actually looking upon God. And you probably understand that there was a concept involved where they didn't ever want to actually physically look upon God because they would die. And that notion was popularized in a movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? You get to the very end of the movie, and the really bad, evil Nazi dude cracks open the Ark of the Covenant and looks inside. By the way, it's a movie. It's not scripture, right? But it's still entertaining, one of the coolest parts of the whole movie because he looks and he's, and you, and you want to, as the moviegoer, look in there and go, what's in there? I want to see it. But bad stuff comes out of there. And because he looks upon it, he melts. Remember that scene? <laughs> great, great movie scene. Not great scripture. Um, but we sang this song, Lord, I want to look on your face. And I think about it when, um, there's a sermon point later about when, when a parent would give their child a look. You know what I'm talking about? I know what that looked like. I can remember when my father would lower his sunglasses and look at me. Silence. But man, that said so much. There was something about a look. And we sing this song and we say, Lord, I need to see your face. And when I sing that song, what I'm thinking in my soul is, there is something of knowing that goes on when you look into someone's eyes. Something... There is something of a contact. It's when you are looking at somebody, you actually look at their eyes, and there's something of knowing, and I, I, I'm anxious to know God better. But then there's that Old Testament thing about not looking upon the face. And I think, you know, the next comment is an opinion. This is not scripture. I can't prove this to you. But I think that the reason in the Old Testament that, we were, that the scripture says you can't look upon God and live, I don't think it's because of... Uh, the fact that God made a rule, and if you break it, his finger will extend and lightning will come off and fry you. I don't think that's it at all. I, this is an opinion. I can't prove it. Okay, so you got that, right? I'm not teaching doctrine right now. But I want to talk to you about your perspective, about why that's true, before we crack open the Word of God today, because your perspective will determine what you go home with today. And so... I, I think that through, and you've probably heard of a concept before of being scared to death. You know, you can actually be scared to death. You can look it up. I mean, I don't know what it requires, but certain set of circumstances and your body reacts in a certain way and out comes the adrenaline and your body can't handle it. You can physically be scared to death 
if that's true, maybe there's an opposite. Maybe you can be loved to death. Wow, that's a different perspective, Terry. Maybe God said, you can't look upon my face and live. Maybe that's why when Moses said, God, I would like to look at you, and God said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass by. But when I do, I'm going to place my hand over you so you can't see me, and I, and I will pass by. Because God loved Moses so much, he didn't want him to die. There's a different perspective. And I do want to look upon the Lord, but I don't want to die from it. I have a perspective that there would be so much wonder and so much love that it could actually be, oh, I would be overcome by it. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's a different perspective than that the God, if you break his little rules, will fry you with a lightning bolt from the tip of his finger. I, I've, I felt like I would share that today before we finish our study on the book of Habakkuk, just as we were in our time of worship, because I, I want to sing songs of worship, engage my intellect with what I'm singing, and then let it get down into my spirit. And I hope you do that too. Because when you come to church, and we put these songs up in front of you and lead you in worship, and the words say, I want to see your face, Lord, and you choose to encounter God, you won't be the same. I really believe that you will not be the same, that you will ex- there will be something in you that will be healed. There will be something in you that grows. There will be something broken that be- is made stronger. I just believe those kinds of things happen when we encounter the Lord. Amen? Okay? So you will take home half an hour from now, whatever you decide with your perspective right now, you're going to be willing to hear. Not that I'm going to persuade you of anything, but the word of God says to, of itself that it won't return void. There's a place in your soul for, these, for the scriptures that we're going to read to land and to give you life if your perspective is there to, to do it. So we read the, the, the story of Habakkuk and um, it's a very short book in the Old Testament. He was uh, one of what we call the 12 minor prophets because it was just a small book, not because it was unimportant. It was written about 600 years before Jesus. And um, there's an interesting difference here between him and the other minor prophets. The other minor prophets, you hear them all speaking the Lord's thoughts to the people. He shares, they, they all became voice, voice pieces of the Lord to the, to the people. But Habakkuk is a little bit different. He's a little bit talking about the feelings of the people to back towards God. It's a little unusual. And um, he spoke to the Lord and, and uh, you know, he, he, God, God, had spoke, God had spoken to Habakkuk and he said, you know, tell the people that they're corrupt. Tell the people that they're sinning. And this has gone on too long. It's too much. I'm going to have to fix things. And the fix is going to be, and it's not going to be very pleasant. I'm going to have to judge them. And, and um I think most likely Habakkuk would, would have thought about that and said, you know, I, I really don't want to take that message back to the people. It doesn't sound very good. You're right. The people are corrupt. The people are vile. They're violent. All this stuff's going on. So I understand. But I don't really want to tell them what you have told me to say to them. And what really wigged him out, Habakkuk was wigged out, wigged out, <laughs> was that God said, not only do I have to fix this, but the instrument that I'm going to use to fix this is a group of people that's way more evil than you are. So I'm going to take these really, really, really worse people to correct you bad people. I mean, that's just, okay. So we think that through and we think, whoa, what? How does that work? 
hold on a minute. Let's talk about this before we go, go too far. And so it just, it kind of wigged him out. And he thinks in his mind, you know, you're supposed to be a just God. That doesn't sound very just to me. And if you've ever had an experience with God and you thought that, you know, God, this doesn't seem fair. And this story is probably going to relate to you a little bit. Now, just by way of review, I want to talk about something that I, that I, that I went over the last uh, couple of weeks, and that was this curve. And uh, this is, um, I've borrowed this concept from a guy who wrote a book, has nothing to do with his book, but there's this curve, and we'll just draw it like this. And uh, so we'll just say right down here at the beginning of the curve, this is a person who, at the moment that they realize that they, uh, they, 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 they do not have the ability on themselves. They can't be good enough. They can't answer all of the, the expectations for a living a holy life. And so they, their heart becomes open and tender. And the Lord says, you know what? I've got a plan for you. And I sent my son. And their heart opens up. And all of a sudden, they come into, for the first time, a relationship with God. And, uh, and we call that, in the church, we call that being born again. And immediately, things change. Boom! There's tremendous spiritual growth in their life. And, and they have experiences like, um, you know, the Lord, um, they, ask, they ask something of the Lord and the Lord answers their prayer. And they grow and they go to the mall um, three days before Christmas and there's a parking spot in the front row and just really good things. They go to church and it seems like the sermon was written for them because it's so relevant and they do really good. And then they get to this place where, you know, life happens. Right? It eventually does sh- catch up, and um, they stub their toe. So that growth kind of starts slowing down, and then they, they do something like um, they, they talk to the Lord about something, and the Lord doesn't seem to hear them or answer their prayer. And in fact, they um, pray, and instead of getting better, the person gets worse. And then the company they work for, you know, I don't know if you work for Hostess or not, but, you know, good people doing honest work, pay this horrible cost of this under, can't understand why and all these people are going on. So things get worse and all of a sudden things aren't going up, they're going down. Hey, wait a second, God. I'm trying to live my life right. I'm trying to do the things that your word tells me to do. This curve, have you seen this curve, God? It's not going the right direction. And they get to a place down here somewhere and we've called that a crisis of belief. We've called that point a crisis of belief. God, I thought you were a certain way. I thought you were a just God. I had certain expectations. If I did A, then you would do B. It's not working out that way. What's the deal? And typically people people will launch two different directions when they get to their crisis. Some people will head off right into denial and say, no, no, I'm going to march like a Christian and ignore ignore all this pain and pretend it doesn't, doesn't really exist and I'll just go back up, try and get back up here. And as long as you huff and you puff, you can keep up there. But as soon as you get a rest... It's hard to stay up there. Then what a lot of other people do is they say, God, if you're not going to be the God I thought you were going to be, and if you're not going to do the things I thought you were going to do, forget you, I'll head back there. And way too many people do that. They hit that crisis of belief, and off they go back, back there. And in chapter one of Habakkuk, that's really where Habakkuk was. He was down here in this crisis of belief. And in chapter two, what we talked about last time, we talked about this long season of waiting where Habakkuk was trying to figure things out. And God had spoken to him and he said, you know, here's what I want you to do. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to speak some things to you. I want you to write it down. And then I want you to wait for me. 
Just wait. Because righteous people live by faith and know and remember that I'm still on my throne. God says these things to Habakkuk, and that's where we were last, last time. Even though things aren't getting better yet, and I don't see the solution yet, he's waiting on God. In chapter 3, which is today, we're going to see something pretty powerful, and I think it's pretty beautiful. Even though the circumstances don't change immediately, Habakkuk's faith and Habakkuk's worship of God go to a, you know, I would call this a, a new a chapter three level, and we see this in, in and we see this also in the New Testament in the book of James, um, verses two, one, chapter one, verses two through four. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And a lot of people want that very real and intimate relationship with God, but they don't realize that God will use this dip to prove his faithfulness and to bring you to a chapter three level kind of faith. Okay, so Habakkuk chapter three, starting in verse one. You can follow along. Um, Verse one, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet on Shigianoth. You guys all know what Shigianoth is, right? I mean, that's a real common word, Shigianoth. Sometimes you run into these words in scripture and go like, what is that all about? Nobody knows for sure. It's, um, it's, it's, it's understood to be a musical notation. Okay, so it's a musical notation, but it means, some, it means okay, follow along with rejoicing power. So it's like, okay, this is a musical notation now. Let's go. Here we go. You should like that one. Shiggy enough. <laughs> so if you say that to me, I'm going to laugh at you, but I'll try to shiggy enough with you. Didn't Will Smith do a song about that, Get Shiggy Enough, or was it Jiggy Enough or something? You remember? Thank you for laughing at my joke. Way to go. Give that man a raise. (laughs) Okay, so he's saying, you know, Shiggy Enough. Okay, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Oh, Lord, renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. He's saying, God, I remember. I've heard about your power. Heard about your glory. I remember them. But God, you're not really doing those things right now. And I got to say, you know, speaking of Terry, there have been times in my past, I go, th- I go through seasons when God's presence seems more real and powerful than at other times in my life. Right? I mean, sometimes his power is really evident and, uh, you know, God was doing this and God was doing that. And sometimes I wake up and I think, you know, God, I remember some things. You could be doing this and, you know, you're not. And, you know, it's okay to wrestle with God. Habakkuk's name means to embrace or to wrestle. It's okay. He wrestles with God and says, God, come on. Do you think that there is anything in heaven that does not want you to be sincere with God? I'm not suggesting you, get, you muster up all of the disrespect you can. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that your true, genuine feelings, your true broken heart, your truest apprehensions, your truest fears, do you think God doesn't know them anyway? Be honest and sincere with God. And so here's Habakkuk saying, come on, God. What do you mean the Babylonians are going to be your instrument? They're so much worse. This just does not make sense to me. But God, renew what you used to do. 
I know you can, God. Do it again. And that's kind of what he's saying. This word renew in there is, it actually means to revive or to restore. You know, clear. Poof. Anybody ever watch House? To revive. Something that seems like it's just on a cold, I'm not pushing that show or anything, but I mean, you know, but I'm, I'm just thinking revive. That's what I'm thinking. Someone who could be alive, something that could be animated, could be producing life and fruit, but is laying cold and lifeless. And, God, and, and, and Habakkuk is saying, come on, God, revive. Do it again. I remember when you used to do this, God, do it again. What do you do when you're in the dip? And circumstances aren't changing. They're not improving. How do you, by your faith, climb out of that dip? And today I want to look at three things that the prophet does. And these things that we can directly apply to our lives um, as we go along. So number one, first thing we want to do is remember what God has done. We look back and remember the faithfulness of God, his character, his goodness, and remember what what he's done. And I I think we'll see that, that Habakkuk does some very tangible things. You know, that trigger spiritual memories for him. Think, because things can trigger your memory. You know, so I brought, I brought one with me today. Because I have memories, heaven sent. This is a really inexpensive, which is my nice way of saying in church, cheap $9 bottle of perfume. Excuse me just a minute. Oh, Lisa, when we first started dating... Now, I have just been flooded with this list of really cool memories. Here, honey, here's a gift for you. I don't know if you can smell it or not. (laughs) But that smell does something to me. I mean, it reminds me of, you know, carrying books to the locker. And, yeah, yeah, I did that. Didn't we? Didn't I? Oh, didn't I carry your books to the locker? I mean, there, there are smells. When you smell them, <laughs> when you smell certain smells, they take you there. They take you to a place. I don't know what they are, but you, you probably know what they are. There are, are sounds, certain sounds. I mean, there are certain kinds. Do you know what a Hammond B3 is? It's a really cool, old-fashioned organ that's got a Leslie, and it kind of has those wigglings. If you're a musician, you know what that is. If you're a musician and you don't know what it is, you better hook up because those are really cool. That's a cool instrument. But it makes this wiggly organ kind of sound, which is cool in certain songs. But you know what it reminds me of is the all-skate. Everybody know what an all-skate is? So I wasn't much of, in fact, I wasn't at all a skater. But when I hear organ music, you know what I think of? I think of pain. Here's why I think of pain. Lisa says, come on, let's go skating. I said, all right. She knew how to skate. I didn't know how to skate. And talk about betrayal. I still haven't forgiven this yet. She says, come on, you can do it. Now, skating is, is a series of things that you learn, and each builds upon the prior one. The first thing you got to learn how to do is stand up in your roller skates, right? That you can learn. Okay, your legs are going back and forth. Okay. Okay, so that's one you can learn. The second thing you can learn is, okay, start moving. And you can do that. That's not that hard. You can learn to do that too. So far, we're real good. She says, come on, it's easy. And she grabs you by the hand and you start skating. It's really helpful to have somebody that knows how to skate holding on to you. The problem is that in like eight seconds, she does this. Now that takes you to the third thing you know how to, you need to know how to do with roller skates. Now... And that's to turn. Because I don't know what 
skating rink you've ever been to before, but in my mind, they all are like this. And so they're playing the all skate music, and if you don't know how to turn, your next alternative is that, (laughs) followed by something else. So when I hear organ music, I think of pain. It just just triggers my memory. I don't know why. And I do forgive you, kind of. (laughs) So Habakkuk triggers some memories, and he remembers the power and the goodness of God. And he's in verse 3. He says, God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah, which is another word we don't use. It's it's an, an exclamation or pause Another musical instruction. By the way, this is a song we're reading. We're, saying, we're actually reading a song. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. Now, you might be scratching your head and saying, you know, Taman? The Holy One from Mount Paran? What does that mean? The people Habakkuk was speaking to knew exactly what he was talking about here. When God delivered the children of Israel... And he parted the Red Sea and they crossed and then the sea closed back up and the Egyptians were, were drowned and all of that was going on and the people emerged on the other side and they, they were then, you know, they became new people with God. Habakkuk was saying, I remember that place. God, this is the very exact place that God took the people to, a place of safety. Taman. Mount Paran. So it, it, it was exactly, they knew exactly what he was talking about. In the Old Testament, there are many places where God would have the people build an altar to remember what he has done. In the New Testament, we have a tradition of, of communion where we remember what Jesus did with the cup and with the bread. So remembering is what Habakkuk is doing. Verse four, his splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The look. Wow. The look of God and nations were shaking. Do you know what I'm talking about? This is the reference I was talking before. Do you have anybody in your life that if they give you a look, you know what that means? Have you ever seen the look? You know, I have, and so I understand the look. I probably have one. Do I have one? (laughs) You'd have to agree quite so quickly or so much passion. The ancient mountains crumbled, and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. And here's what a back does, and you can read this on your own in the following verses sometime later, verses 7 to 15. He goes on this very detailed explanation, remembering when God was displaying his power and his glory. And you can imagine what he's saying here. He's saying, you know, I remember when you guided your people by a pillar of fire during the daytime and, and at nighttime and a cloud during the daytime. I remember when we were hungry and you fed us with bread that just came from heaven. I remember that. I remember when you parted the water and we safely went through on dry land and you protected us from attackers. I remember when you shook the earth and you made these walls come tumbling down just because we walked. I remember that. I remember when you used pestilence and I remember when you used plagues. I know and I remember, God, what you're capable of. Would you renew those deeds in our day? Amen. And whenever I'm in the dip, I try to remember. When I don't see him, I try to remember what he's done in the past. 
And I think about, you know, I look back at the Terry from before, and, and I think about, you know, when I was in high school and I was, you know, more lost than you can imagine. And um, I remember calling on the name of Jesus in a church service where I heard the truth. And, and I said, God, if you're really there and you're really real, you've got to do something here and show me. And I went and I knelt down at an altar, one person, and I stood up somebody completely different. I remember that. I remember how the Lord touched my daughter who um, had a lifelong disease and he healed her. I remember that. I remember at one point, a long time ago, completely giving up on my marriage. It's gone. It's lost. And God sovereignly and miraculously reached in and touched it and turned her into my best friend. I remember the hand of the Lord. I remember times when our finances, our family finances were completely upside down. I had some spending impulse problems. How was that? Spending impulse problems. That, that's pretty politically correct. That was, you should be impressed. This, you know, God not only helped us crawl out of a financial hole that was in large part our doing, but he put us on a financial footing that today, my, my financial blessing and prosperity has nothing to do with employment. It has everything to do with the fact that I trust God. And it's his responsibility now. We have a deal. He made a deal with us. And we said, okay, we'll keep the deal. And it's, it's, it's so different. I remember. Sometimes you just have to remember who he is and what he has done in your life. And you know, maybe you're thinking, well, you know, I, I can't, you know, I can't remember when my daughter was healed from somebody. That's, you know, it doesn't have to be that dramatic. You can remember some smaller things. I mean, if you've been a believer for any amount of time, I guarantee you that if you just slow down and stop and you listen and wait on the Lord, the Lord will remind you about some places and times where he's shown up. You know, maybe it's be something as simple as, you know, you, you went to a church service somehow and and somehow it was just you and God that day. There was people all around you, but just you and God. And it seemed like that every word that was spoken was somehow the Holy Spirit was speaking it to you. You can remember that. Or maybe it was a time that you were just hurting and, and you turned on the radio and there was some song and that song just brought soothing to your soul and you realized, God, God prevailed on a DJ somewhere to put the right song on at the right time and it just ministered to you. You can remember that. Or it could have been something as simple as one day you're reading the Bible and you run across a scripture and that scripture just reached out and grabbed you by the heart. As if, you know, that in all of history, all those scriptures, that one was for you. God intentionally put that one in there just for you. You can remember that. Or it could be something as simple as you were hurting one day and somebody said, hey, can I pray for you? And it just brought such peace. And you realize God sent that person to you. You can remember that. What do you do when you're in the dip? You remember what God's done. God, I remember your glory and your power and your deeds. Renew them in our day, God. Do those things again today. I believe you can. So you remember what God has done. The second thing you do is you accept what God is doing. This doesn't mean that you roll over and play dead, um, that you stop praying. Uh, but when you're in the dip, it's time to acknowledge that you're actually in the dip. Now, if God has directly spoken, like he did with Habakkuk, if God has spoken and said it's so, 
then you accept what God has said. And I think, you know, for too many Christians, you know, there would be what I would call hits Christians, H-I-T-S, head in the sand Christians. Too many Christians (laughs) just put their head in the sand. The doctor says, you know, your health is not very good and you need to make some changes. And instead of facing the truth, you put your head in the sand. Or whenever their marriage is in trouble and their spouse says, honey, you know, we need some help, we need some counseling. And you say, well, ah, it'll all work out. And you just put your head in the sand. <laughs> or let's sometime when your finances are upside down and, and you're saying, well, I got to have that house. I want to buy that house. So in faith, I'm going to buy that house. And you just put your head in the sand. Or when the storm is coming. Did you see the smoke? When a storm is coming, some Christians, they just don't prepare, they don't face the truth. They just put their head in the sand. Maybe God is saying to you, pull your head out of that sand. Just pull your head out, maybe. I think too many people, we deny the reality sometimes of what the Lord is doing or what's actually going on. Doesn't mean we shouldn't pray for a miracle. I think we should. I think you should pray for miracles. But if God has spoken clearly, then we have to accept what He's doing, even if we don't like it. And you can see this come about in verse 16. And He's speaking about hearing the Lord's message. And God said, I'm going to use the Babylonians to destroy you. And He says in verse 16, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Oh, get this, his heart is pounding. His lips, is, they're quivering, his legs are shaking. And he realized what God said was going to happen, was going to come to pass, and that it wasn't going to be pleasant. God had spoken, and Habakkuk did not go into the hits phase. He looked squarely at the truth. And knowing this is not going to be a very fun time, he thinks, I don't like it, but God, I trust you, even though I don't fully understand. It's so hard to say that. But he did not go into denial. The sovereign hand of God is up to something here. God has spoken. So I'm going to accept what he's doing, no matter how difficult it is to accept. Wow. Now, here's an example, and I admit that this example that I'm going to share, the story is, is, is relatively minor story compared to some of the things that go on in our lives, but this happened to me very young, and, and uh, it really stamped my soul. I, I, I don't have any cats now. Um, this is a cat story. I'm not making fun of cats here. I have to say that because I've done it before because cats deserve to be made fun of. <laughs> I just blew it, didn't I? Anyway. Just bear with me. So actually, I had cats. I had a cat named Stormy. But this was, this, I don't remember if this is while I still had cats, but um, this experience just really stamped my soul. And I, I, I still can remember it like it was yesterday. I was probably, I'm guessing, first grade maybe. And I was walking home from school one day. And just a few houses up from my house, I heard this noise over in the bushes. And I go over there, and here's this, this German shepherd. And there's a handful of kittens there. 
And this German shepherd is into these, this litter of kitten, kitties. And uh, it's got one of these kittens in its mouth, and it's doing this thing, you know. And uh, I didn't like that, you know. And, and um, somehow I got that kitten away from that German shepherd and chased this dog away. I'm just this little guy, and I don't know what to do. And so I'm, I've got this limp kitty in my hand a couple of houses away. Well, what do you do when you're six? You go find mom. Your mom can fix anything. And uh, so I took this little limp, lifeless kitty a couple, of day, a couple of houses down, and mom, do you remember this? You do? Oh, it broke my heart. I was heartbroken. Mom, fix this. And she said, honey, I can't. I can't. And as best as I can remember, that's the first time in my life my mother couldn't fix something. It's okay, Mom, you didn't let me down. You know, I was heartbroken. You must have been watching your little boy want that cat fixed. I mean, I had never encountered anything before that my mother couldn't fix. And she said to me something of this. Sometimes things, hap- things just happen that we don't understand and we can't change them. That was a shocking revelation to a six-year-old little boy who thought the world and life revolved around him. Sometimes things happen, and um, you can't control everything. And sometimes it's already happened, and there's nothing we can do to fix the little kitty or bring the kitty back. So we remember what God has done. Two, you accept what God is doing. And then the third thing we do is that we trust what God is going to do. Okay, so those three things, that's the three points. You remember what he did, which speaks to the past. You accept what he's doing, which speaks to the present. And you trust what he will do, which speaks to the future. You remember, you accept, you trust. R-A-T, rat. Now, preachers like me just love to come up with acronyms like that. And it would be really cool if this acronym actually spelled out like eat ice cream or something. (laughs) But it doesn't. We remember... We accept and we trust what God's going to do in the future. And we see this going on in the next couple of verses, verse 17 and 18. Habakkuk says, you know, I don't understand and I don't like it, God. The Babylonians need to get theirs too. And I know we're going to get ours, but I don't, I don't like it. So let's just see what he says here, starting in verse 16. He says, yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there is no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, although I have no reason to rejoice, God, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Where he has no reason, physically or emotionally, to rejoice, he says, even though my spouse said till death to his part and is not keeping that commitment, I will rejoice in the Lord my God. Even though my kids know better and I raise them differently, they're making some really bad decisions. Even though that's going on, I will trust in the Lord my God. That's Habakkuk in 2012. 
Even though we prayed for someone to get better and they're actually getting worse, I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Even though our house isn't selling and we're now on the financial edge and can't figure it out, I'm going to trust God. Even though it cost me $400 to fill my gas tank, I'm going to trust God. Even though I don't like it, I don't understand it, I know he could and he should, but he's not, I will trust my Lord. And I pray every single one of you will grow to have Habakkuk chapter 3 faith. But here's the deal. You can't have chapter 3 faith until you've had a chapter 1 question and a chapter 2 period of waiting. Because God can do so much more in that dip than he can do in the mountaintop. And in the low times, God proves his love and his favor and his goodness and his kindness. And I can tell you this personally, that after years of walking with Jesus, I can say something now that I couldn't say back at the beginning. I just, I just couldn't say it. And that's this. I've now walked with Jesus through enough yesterdays to trust him with all of my tomorrows. Enough yesterdays, I can trust him with all, all of my tomorrows. And I pray that you'll experience that, you know, if not now, someday, and that you will at some point be able to say, God, we have enough yesterdays that my tomorrows, I completely trust you. And you can see where this goes in verse 19. The sovereign Lord, he's, he's saying, I don't understand, I don't like it yet. The sovereign Lord is my strength. God is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. Even though there's no fruit in the trees, even though there are no animals in the barns, the Lord is in his holy temple and the righteous will live by faith. I find my strength in him, the Lord my God, and he'll take me to new heights. When you think of Habakkuk, when you think of Habakkuk, whose name literally means to embrace and to wrestle. When you're in that dip, and you might even be wrestling with God, saying, I just don't understand you, God. God will take you to a new place of trust and faith into those new heights. Let's pray.